Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Happy Veterans Day for all of those who are veterans. Thank you so kindly for having served us. You know, we must, we do appreciate you. Today's program is a very important program. Democrats path to victory. The Republican help. Were they going to help us? High school student talks about CRT. We have some economic truths to talk about. Anyway, folks, so today we have the honor of having two special people. Local person, uh, Ayo, she's going to discuss CRT in schools and, uh, and her thoughts, which are pretty profound. She gave some of them to us at the Houston Peace and Justice Center. We're also with Harvey Wasserman. Harvey Wasserman, everybody knows as that journalist activist who has written several books, not only on economy, but on American history. So we have a great show in store for you. We're also going to discuss inflation, the economy. Let's not really blame the government. Let's put blame where it belongs. The private sector, a greedy private sector that is ripping us off because we have allowed them to do it. Lastly, let's not forget our own local representative who really doesn't have our interests at hand. Stay with it. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politicsunright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds, KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what that nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. Republicans are happy. Why are they happy? Youngkin won in 
Virginia and you know they think they have a winning message family values we are going to be the party of families and education you know and Democrats are running scared oh we've got to do something now to counteract that well you don't have to do anything that you're not currently planning on doing with build back better because there are the answers to many of the problems that we have and you know what Kevin Brady gave an interview today to Stephanie Rule that should make us all happy and we should take this interview and plaster bits and pieces of it to show exactly what the party is all about. Family value, my you know what. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Congressman Kevin Brady. He's a Republican from the state of Texas and the ranking member of the Tax Writing Ways and Means Committee. When it comes to monetary policy, that is on the Fed. I know you think the Biden administration is dropping the ball. They need to pay attention to inflation. What does the Fed need to do? Yeah, so I think uh, one, stop making things worse. worse. They've, they've really been in denial. I get frustrated with the Fed because I think they've been in a big denial about the labor shortage for way too long, certainly about inflation. I think they're trying to sell this transitory, but it doesn't feel that way. So in what do you most want Americans to do? Now. Yeah, mo- so one, stop making it worse would be the first thing. I think this tapering's a little bit of a help. But in truth, they're still pushing Congress to go big on more stimulus uh, spending. Uh, and they're not addressing the labor shortage in any way. I, and I get frustrated because COVID isn't the problem with inflation or the labor shortage. That was already present in the economy in a bad way before the Delta variant uh, showed up. But in this new spending package, for example, beyond over a trillion dollars of crippling tax hikes, including on small businesses, there are a couple programs that actually discourage Americans from reconnecting to work. The new child tax credit will no longer be tied to earnings, so it becomes a welfare program. Where why that why will, does that discourage some, people? Hold on a second. Why does that discourage yeah. people from going to work? Here's an example. Yes. I can afford, yes. chi- hold on, I can afford child care. It's very, very expensive in the United States because I can afford child care. I can go to work. With the expanded child tax credit, people will be able to pay for child care in this country so they, in fact, can go out and work. If I'm only making minimum wage. Yeah. So actually, Stephanie, they're not. Two new studies, one that shows the child tax credit for COVID was spent mainly on uh, on retirement and savings. Not a bad thing, but not its intended purpose. Secondly, it didn't reach nine out of the ten poorest Americans who didn't who don't work, who don't have tax records, who don't know how to interact with the uh, with the Treasury and the IRS. And so it even missed its mark there. Here's the challenge is if it, hold you on a second. It didn't hold on a second, sir. It didn't home. exclude those people. If those are people who don't currently file taxes, if they don't communicate with the IRS, it hasn't reached them yet. It's going to take some time yeah. to get the process to work. It's not that they were Perhaps, excluded. But right now. Perhaps, but right now, nine out of 10 are not getting help. Secondly, do we really, at a time we desperately need workers, are we smart to send about one and a half million people exiting the workforce with the child tax credit no longer tied to earnings or work? This is not the time to be erecting barriers to reconnecting the jobless to a job, just the opposite. Well, one could argue it's always a good time to lift children out of poverty. I want to talk infrastructure because Democrats. That's that's the point. It didn't lift it out of poverty. What what did, though? The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act by Republicans lifted millions out of uh, poverty 
within a year of being put in place and drove wages up to pay for child care, for example, among Hispanics, Blacks, women, disabled, in a way we didn't see at all the last time Joe Biden was in the White House. First of all, the congressman, Representative Brady from Texas, is a liar. The fact of the matter is the, the rescue plan brought 50% of kids out of poverty. That is a statistical, mathematical fact. That, so that is a lie that he stated there. And the tax cut that they give, the tax cut scam that we had from Donald Trump did not do and bring people out of poverty. A rising economic system brought more people out of poverty. Not that they did something because most of the money used by the tax cut scam from Donald Trump went into buyback stocks, which means make rich people wealthier. And it gave very little to everybody else. And as prices had increased before the COVID started, people were simply paying that extra money that they got from that little tiny tax cut that a few people got into higher health care prices. Do not believe the, the Republican lie. But Democrats cannot let what Brady just said go unanswered. In fact, they should tag him with that. First of all, he points out that there is a labor shortage. So let's screw Americans. There's a labor shortage. Those private sector people need to have people to work. So therefore, if we, the government, make sure that kids are not poor, if we, the government, give people a stipend just so that they can survive and go to get a job, that somehow many of them are simply going to stay home and therefore we cannot force them to work. Understand the family values person says we don't give a damn about families. We only care about business. We don't want to give them social services because business need them. And if we give them social services, they will have a choice. And if business really want them, business has to pay more than social services are willing to provide to keep them sustainable. Understand it. Now, I am not an expert in narrative, but you can Democrats, if they really want, can hire experts in narrative and turn those two statements that Kevin Brady makes. We cannot give people money because it'll hurt the businesses. We want to enslave the American people to business. So no help from we the people, no help from we the people so that you can work for government for cheap. The second thing that he implies is that, well, uh, we need to make sure that you can hire these people on the cheap because the only way you will get them to work for you is if you pay them more than what they can get in services that they will have the choices to earn more based on what the market, you know, everybody like to talk about what the market will bear. So folks, it is so important going forward. Do not allow this to go unanswered. Democrats, if they do not answer this, this is the losing mechanism. But Kevin Brady gave them the pathway to not only victory, but to a landslide in 2022. Stephanie Kelton appeared with Farid Zakaria a couple of days ago, and I think what she had to say about the federal budget deficit and deficit spending is very, very important. You know, many people have a tendency to believe that the federal budget deficit somehow shares the budgeting that we do personally in common. Of course, it's not the case. She's one of the proponents of modern monetary theory, something that we've discussed before and have had several programs on. Check this out, and then we will take it on the other side. 
Stephanie Kelton is a professor of economics and public policy and the author of The Deficit Myth. Welcome, Stephanie. One of the things that you have talked about in your book and, and uh, is that when we think about this question of are we spending too much, will this kind of deficit spending cause problems like inflation? You say it's as if the last 30 years of history didn't happen. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, Fareed, for so many years, we have been taught to think about government deficits as something that's inherently irresponsible. Maybe in a time of crisis, like after the financial crisis and the Great Recession or during the COVID pandemic, we make allowances and we say, well, okay, we have to run some deficits because it's a moment of crisis. But in more normal times, we're told the deficits are something that we ought to strive to avoid, that governments ought to balance their budgets, that they should effectively balance like a budget like a household, that deficits are dangerous because they do things like driving up interest rates, making our long-term debt unsustainable, producing a slower growing economy, putting us at risk of national bankruptcy and solvency, turning into Greece, the kind of thing that we saw in 2010 with many countries in Europe struggling with debt. So we've been taught to think of deficits as something that's uh, inherently dangerous and risky. And uh, I think the last 30 years, as you just said, really should cause us to rethink a lot of that. And and explain what you mean by that. We've been spending, we've run up large deficits. Countries like Japan have run up huge deficits and no inflation. Yeah, Japan's been running large fiscal deficits for the last three decades. And, and you're right, with little inflation to show for it. The U.S. has been running fiscal deficits deficits basically my entire life, with the exception of really four years during the Clinton presidency. And, you know, we have just witnessed in the last 18 months or so, Congress commit about $5 trillion to fighting the pandemic, supporting the economy. And what did we end up with? We ended up with the shortest recession in U.S. history. So we have demonstrated the power of fiscal policy, what it is possible to do, lifting nearly half of all the kids in this country out of poverty, supporting families, supporting small and large businesses, protecting this economy through the pandemic. And it works and it works without producing all of the negative consequences that we've been taught to associate with deficits. What about the argument that now you are seeing inflation? Larry Summers has argued that that right now, because of the the, really the covid relief spending um, that was that was in his view too much, uh, you are seeing inflation. Uh, some as I should uh, explain, does support a lot of the social spending and the infrastructure bills, but he feels like all of it together is producing inflation and the numbers do seem to be ticking up, right? Well, look, one of the first things that we teach students in their very first economics course is not to confuse correlation with causation. So yes, we have had two things happen. We have had a huge increase in fiscal support. So large government deficits that have supported the economy and pulled us out of a recession very, very quickly. And yes, we have higher than normal inflationary pressures, not just here in the U.S., but of course around the world. And so you could look at these two things and say they're happening alongside one another. Therefore, it must be evidence that the government has pushed too far with fiscal policy, that in fact the spending is creating the extra inflationary pressures we see today. I don't think that's right at all. And if you look at what, let's say, the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, they've got a research staff. And some of their researchers just within the last two weeks published a study 
asking this exact question. How much of the current inflation we're experiencing can we trace to the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package that was passed in March? In other words, is Larry right? Is Larry Summers right that that is what's been driving a lot of the inflation that we are currently experiencing? What they found uh, is that the answer is unequivocally no, that this year uh, that spending will add something like 0.3 percentage points points to the inflation index that the Federal Reserve cares most about and that next year it will add about 0.2% to inflation. In other words, it is practically negligible. And what we're dealing with, our supply chain and reopening, the pressures related to those kinds of challenges are pushing inflation higher. But it doesn't appear that uh, it is correct to say that the government pushed spending too far. We do not do not conflate correlation with causation. Do not do that. And that is exactly what she's saying. The inflation today is caused by many different factors. When it comes to oil, let's remember one important fact. A very important fact is the following. There is never a shortage of oil. We have cartels that control the amount of oil placed on the market. It has nothing to do with supply and demand in this particular domain. Secondly, we have to remember that inflation has a lot to do with who has pricing power. Uh, the increase in medical health care costs has nothing to do with what the goods cost, the originators of the services at all. It's simply what the market can bear. You get a broken leg, you're going to have to go to the hospital and get it fixed. And no matter what they charge you, you're going to have to pay. That is how it works. Now, there are some pressures uh, 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 that we have based on things like like the supply chain, that also is a fault of the private sector. We'll discuss that at some other time as well. Remember, their correlation, uh, do not conflate correlation with causation at all. It is also important to note, as long as you have supply, sufficient supply of any product, any service, you cannot have inflation unless you have the capitalist with pricing power that decides that we are going to make those prices go up. Do not be fooled into a crony capitalism that, that, that uses every excuse possible to suck you dry. Before I introduce you to our guest, I want to tell you that we were having a very important meeting at uh, the Houston Peace and Justice Center. I'm, I'm a board member. And uh, we were having a discussion on several issues. And we had somebody that came in and had some questions to ask. And this person had the most intelligent question, the most intelligent statement of all of us Gen Xers and baby boomers that were on this call. And when I heard her, I said, we need to have a conversation. Ayo Sane is a high school student. And if we are leaving America in the hands of people like Ayo, then we are in good, we are going to be in good shape. Anyway, welcome to Politics Done Right. Did I say it right, Ayo? Um, yes, it's Ayo. Ayo. I, mean, I think I said it wrong the first time. Anyway, welcome to Politics Done Right, Ayo. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am doing fine. Ayo, before we get started, tell me a little bit about what was a high school student in a Houston Peace and Justice Center uh, event? It kind of, I was surprised. 
Right. Um, so I was trying to get in contact with the Houston Peace and Justice Center um, because I wanted to see if I could join them because they said they needed volunteers. Mm-hmm. And they mailed me in April, but I didn't get to see it until then. Um, so they invited me to that Zoom meeting to see if I could see what it was about. Um, and I joined and I agreed with a lot of the things that people were saying. But in order to make the conversation more helpful, I decided to um, input some things. Yeah, well, we were we were talking a, a whole lot about, uh, I mean, race wasn't the only issue, but that was one of the topics that we had on the schedule. Tell us a little bit about what you said and why you said what you said. What is it that that we said that really made you say, no, I need to actually correct uh, the notions that you guys are talking about? So I um, heard mm-hmm. people say that what we were talking about wasn't a race problem. It was, you know, a poor people problem. And they kept trying to make that distinction. Um, which, in my opinion, isn't, it really isn't accurate. I don't think that they're just extremely exclusive. I think that they can intersect and they do intersect, which causes a lot of the problems that we have today. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't angry with anything that they were saying or the people that were saying it. Um, but I did want to make that distinction so that we could have a more useful conversation. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes myself, when it comes to issues of race or or or, or gender, etc., I would have a tendency to uh, to you know a lot of times we'd have a tendency to make these things economic all the way because I think it's usually easier to speak about. Now you corrected us in that regards, but I do think that many a times we use the racial issues uh, to promote the economic issues. Your thoughts on that? When you say promote, what what do you mean? Good question. In other words, um, I think our system, the economy that we have, the way things operate, it is easier to have us at each other's throat based on all these isms than to actually, uh, than, than to actually uh, realize that there are in fact economic problems. In other words, uh, that that at one point there was redlining, at one point there were all these type of issues. I, I imagine that you're familiar with redlining, etc. Right. I think that the reason people do that is to try and take away from the problem in a sense. With economics, it's math, right? Right. It's mostly math. Um, you can kind of figure it out a lot easier and try to fix the problems using something as sensical and straightforward as math. It, math is extremely objective in a sense. Racism in essence is not because there are not enough people that are strictly anti-racist. And so when I think that somebody says that we're trying to use race as a way to promote issues or using these other otherisms as a means of division instead of acknowledging that people are probably bringing this up to try and acknowledge how these quote-unquote otherisms and these forms of discrimination do affect economics in a way. I think that that kind of aids in the belief that economic problems and racial 
discrimination issues are two separate things. Wow. That is so prescient. Let me ask you this. Uh, what kind of courses do you take? What school? Oh, well, I won't ask what school you go to. What kind of courses do you uh, do you take in your in, in, in your curriculum? Because, I mean, uh, is, are these things that you study on your own, these things that you came about by external reading or is your curriculum inclusive of items like this? No, my curriculum is not inclusive of items like this at all. Um, the district that I live in has actively opposed more inclusive course items. Um, so I don't accredit my knowledge of these subjects to the district that has um, tried to negate students' knowledge of these issues repeatedly and systemically in nature. I think I've figured this out through experience and listening to elders which is why, you know, I was trying to be and I think was respectful of what the elders in that um, panel were saying, because in a sense, you can't really trust what is being, you know, piped to you through, through the American education system. Um, so you have to go by experience and they have much more experience than I do with a lot of these problems that I'm talking about. Wow. That, that is great. And I'm, you know, now, right now, the big thing that's creating a big hoopla is whether one should teach critical race theory in schools, et cetera. Uh, do you have an opinion on that at all or, or not? I think that I, I read the, um, the bill that was passed and I think it didn't really focus on critical race theory. I think that it actually focused on talk about race in general, because some of the things that it were sent that it mentioned in the bill, like um, there was this one thing where it was like a student cannot say that one has to bear the um, the burdens of their ancestors and stuff like that can be easily twisted to harm a student that is talking about how one student may or may not have benefited from certain systems of discrimination. I don't think that this critical race theory bill focuses on critical race theory. I think that it focuses on taking the onus away from people in power and trying to muffle and silence talk about race at all because it's uncomfortable for most people. And as soon as somebody is talking about it, it's seen as taboo. And that's why the bill is there. And the more people learn about it, about how race comes into play in so many things, the more aware that they're going to get. And as we all know, like knowledge is power and they're consistently taking that away from us. So my opinion on the bill is that when there is a bill that actually addresses critical race theory in nature, I will look into that, but this bill does not. So I'm not going to do that. That that is very that is so true. And in effect, what they're trying to do is they're trying to eliminate history. They they don't want anybody to feel bad or learned, you know, because they fear 
one of the biggest fear is that when one realizes what one has lost from what this country has done many a times, that somehow it would demean a particular, which is, which isn't about critical race, wasn't it's about history. Um, are you, what are you, you, you said something that uh, kind of behooved me. You said that in your class, in your school system, no attempt is made to really give you real history, if you will. So you have to do it on your own, experiential, uh, working with your elders, etc. Um, what are you going to do? Because you're young and we need the young people to do better than our generations have done. We want them to be the ones who are going to be out there making the change. That's why I got so excited when you came on to the show, because it was like, there we go. Somebody who's going to be able to do it. And we know that the youngsters, I imagine you get along with just about everybody in your school, correct? Um, not really, not necessarily. I have said that my district has gotten in the way of me receiving a full education in history. I do think that there are things in place that, you know, have helped me get a better understanding of what's going on today. But in general, my school district doesn't really, um, it doesn't really support. And I think all school districts in general in the American education system don't really support a full understanding of history and how that plays into oppression. While I think that more young people, I think more people in general should be aware of what's going on. I don't think we should place the onus of activism on children because we are children. We, we, not everybody has to be like me. We don't all need to be activists, right? Mm-hmm. We all deserve a childhood. And when you push children into the limelight of having to, you know, understand these huge concepts and trying to fight battles that are extremely big, it kind of takes away from that of like having a childhood. That is... I read you. I mean, uh, even with us older folk, I say everybody doesn't, you know, we shouldn't expect everybody to want to be activists or want to be ingrained this, but we just need to expect a good education. Well, look, let me ask you uh, one last question, Ayo. Um, what would you like, what would you like out of, first of all, what would you like to end with telling our audience, but more specifically, what can we as adults do? to make it a better world for the young, not, not just for the young, just for America in general? That's a loaded question. Yes, it um, is. But you I can think, answer it. <laughs> I, I think that as adults, it would be most beneficial to educate yourself. I think that With more knowledge and understanding of what's going on, you can see that there are clear decisions to make based on that. Um, And whatever type of, you know, education that is, whether it's reading literature or speaking to people about their experiences, I think that once you get a clear understanding of something, the 
decision to make becomes less muddied. And that's the way to help where you don't have to, you know, say that this is, you know, wrong, entirely wrong or entirely right. Um, when you understand something in full nature, then you can understand how to go about, you know, attacking that problem. Ayo Sane, prescient words from a high school student that all of us adults would do well to listen to. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Today we have a special guest. With us is Harvey Wasserman. You know him as the journalist, the activist, the you you name it, that's what he does. Um, he's been with what's the name of your group now, Harvey? I forget. It's uh, the Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition. Agreed. And, and that is a very important group where we are making sure that everybody's vote counts, but we are here to speak about something special. First of all, everybody is screaming heli murder about. Virginia and New Jersey. You right. have a take. You wrote an article. I think you co-wrote an article with Joel Siegel. Right. And I want to talk up a little bit about that. Why don't you tell me, break it down for me. What occurred in, in uh, Virginia? Well, the, uh, the article is at Reader Supported News, rsn.org. And uh, basically, of course, as always, the punditocracy and the corporate uh, Democrats always blame the left. Uh, whenever they lose, which is frequent, uh, they they attack uh, people with progressive politics who actually want to get s- something done in the government. Uh, but the fact is that, and so they're claiming that this loss in New Jersey, uh, this loss in Virginia, and the close race in New Jersey are be somehow related to left politics. And uh, but the reality is that the uh, the guy in New Jersey um, didn't run a great campaign. He's actually a pretty good governor, the uh, uh, Murphy in New Jersey. Um, he, uh, unlike so many others, he's actually competent. Uh, he knows how to run a government. And uh, New Jersey is a pretty well-run state, actually. Virginia, you had this guy, uh, uh, and he wasn't a bad candidate, ran a decent campaign, more or less. The guy in Virginia, a complete loser, um, uh, terrible, long-time functionary, just a, you know, a Clinton inside player. And um, uh, ran a miserable campaign, and uh, we knew he was going to lose, and we knew he'd blame the left um, uh, because he, he didn't get to people. He put all his money into TV advertising, didn't talk about anything uh, substantial, just yapped away about Donald Trump, who wasn't running, and um, uh, just blew it. Just handed the state over to the Republicans. What are your uh, Harvey? What are your thoughts here? Because what really concerned me, yeah, they they try to blame the left, but I mean, he didn't he didn't run a very smart campaign. First of all, I don't even think a slip of the tongue would ever state something to the effect of I don't want parents to have any control in the in uh, in in their kids education. Look, we understand what he what he may have wanted to say, but in his autocratic manner of being on in the corporatist world, that's exactly how they talk, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's not relevant. I mean, uh, they're playing a game the right way. They got this uh, critical race theory. They're doing whatever they possibly can to keep race as an issue, you know, and uh, uh, this critical race theory stuff is just completely fabricated nonsense. Um, It has nothing to do with anything except 
making uh, dividing blacks and whites. That's all it's about. And um, you know they they have to find a continual manner to uh, 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 keep the the race issue hot and uh, divisive. And uh, Terry McAuliffe, uh, 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 you know, didn't point out that the Biden administration got people money. Didn't point out that they've been fighting the uh, 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 virus, which is you know um, a, a nightmare. And um, uh, didn't point out that they're they're pushing this. They just got this infrastructure through. Uh, you know, which is a miracle to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, we have a totally dysfunctional government, and uh, the uh, the right wing is moving in there with their guns and their violence and their death threats. You know, people on the left everywhere now are getting death threats on a regular basis. Uh, that's what these fascists do. And Terry McAuliffe is, you know, just uh, absolutely rolled over. Uh, didn't talk about good government. Didn't talk about um, uh, delivering uh, on, on bread and butter issues. And uh, um, let the he let the right wing uh, set the agenda, um, uh, and and he lost. And he also didn't bring people out. You know, imp- I want to stop you right there because you made an important point there. He he left it to the vices of the right wing. I wrote a piece uh, a, a piece and did a video a few days ago after the election where I stated that I'm tired of Democrats just leaving supposedly red counties, red areas, red districts. It, they just they just leave it to the devices of the right as if they are not people who want good policies in these areas as well. I mean, it's mismanagement the way they cede these areas to the Republicans, assuming that they'll just campaign in these big pockets of people they hope are all theirs. Don't you think it's malpractice that you don't realize that the people that the policies that Biden helped the most are the people who most voted against them? Well, I think it's uh, to me. I think that Steve Bannon has people running the Democratic Party. Yes, you know, they, they you know they clearly these they this, the usual talking heads, all these uh, consultants that always lose uh, that make no sense whatsoever. Uh, they are they are uh, uh, taking the Democratic Party and, and threw it in the toilet, uh, and no idea. Uh, or they don't care about winning. All they care about is their salaries. And, uh, you know, a lot of these guys get paid commission uh, for the placement of these ridiculous TV ads that waste our money. We won in Georgia. The bottom line is there was a miraculous win in Georgia. Explain. I think I think in your piece, you did some explaining on that. Explain what worked in Georgia that stupidly did not work in uh, New Jersey. Uh, Yeah. And in Virginia is Virginia, uh, Virginia. We had a great organizer named. Andrea Miller, who at the Center for Common Ground, another great organizer, Ray McClendon at the Atlanta NAACP, and they got people on the ground. They went door to door. They 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 sent out postcards. They talked to people. They got people to the polls. Uh, the people that needed to to we need to win elections, and we won. They, you know, Joe Biden carried Georgia. It's, it's insane that he carried Georgia. It, it, it's a miracle. And, uh, and then we elected two senators from Georgia, a black guy and a Jewish guy in Georgia. I mean, right. you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the home of the Klan, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, and, um, and, and it was done with grassroots campaigning. And the guy in Virginia just took all the money that he got from his corporate buddies and ran stupid TV ads that nobody wants to see, that are annoying, that make you want to vote against the guy. 
and um, and that and that's their whole campaign. And then they lose, and then they blame the people that could have won the election for them because they don't want to do policy. They don't want to do. They, they don't want to do the hard work of getting uh, 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 social justice. And, and saving the environment and dealing with issues like racism. Now, look, I want to throw something past you, Harvey, because I, you know, whereas we call it that they've, they've been incompetently campaigning, I don't know if that's the case. I want to postulate this to you, and you tell me your thoughts about this. I think that we have people in the Democratic Party, and for that matter, in the Republican Party. They don't really give a damn about parties at all. They are just there. The mansions, the cinemas, those that are corporately controlled are just in particular parties to ensure those particular parties cannot do any damage to their corporatocracy, to the plutocracy, to the oligarchy. Example, um, why would, let's say, a cinema who was a Green Party woman just wants to hold up a bill? Why would they want to hold back a Build Back Better bill if not to allow a maybe a old Democratic senator to die, maybe for some other eventuality that says, OK, we need to put this on a back burner and not do anything that's going to cause interest or that cause our people to have to pay a dime more of what they've stolen from the American people. Thoughts? Well, look, Kirsten Cinema. everybody's talking about primarying her. She's not going to run again. She's a, she'll be a multimillionaire. Right. She got herself in there. She's getting obviously getting tons of money from the big pharmaceutical companies and whoever else that she's selling her vote to. I mean, this 50-50 split for for Mansion and Cinema is like winning the lottery. Right. Well, they're 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 gonna Joe Manchin has direct interests in um uh coal and you know and in preserving the fossil nuclear in, uh, economy. And cinema is taking money directly from the pharmaceutical companies. Um, you know, this is pay to play. And uh, these guys, uh, they won the lottery when the, when the uh, uh, Senate. A 50-50 Senate. But then don't you also think that there are a few of those other senators that are hiding behind them that are really not on board? Yeah, probably. You know, but the problem is that the, we have a government that's, that's uh, uh, purchased. You know, uh, we, we have a government run by money. And that, and that's that's the way it is. Now, thankfully, there are people like Bernie Sanders who have principles and um, and who actually believe in things. But Mansion and Cinema, these people are completely uh, callous and calculating, and it's all about the money for them, and uh, uh, they don't care about the rest of us. And the bottom, and of course, they all whenever they lose, uh, they run terrible campaigns. They don't care about issues. They don't reach out to people, and then they blame the left. You know, immediately knee jerk response all over the court, the bloviating, you know, uh, talk tocracy there. Uh, immediately, it's oh, they went too far left and blah, 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 and socialism and, and all this stuff. I mean, the reality is that half the millennials and Zoomers in this country support socialism. Uh, you know, they, they, the polls show that yeah, people are sick of capitalism in, in many, many ways. And, and, uh, and, and, so we really don't even have capitalism. We have a monopoly situation. Uh, there's no uh, Adam Smith, uh, the who talked about uh, the, the invisible hand and free trade, be flipping in his grave. People actually read Adam Smith right there on the beginning of the Wealth of Nations. He talks about how corp- how about monopolies can completely game the system, and that's what we have. Um, and so uh, you know, thankfully, 
there are people and the progressive caucus is now, you know, the biggest piece of uh, uh, coherent uh, political force in the Congress now. And um, uh, they, they know what they're doing and they know what they're about. But it's the rest of these uh, people who are beholden to the corporations uh, who are killing the whole situation. I have a history book coming out about this, Egberto, the people's spiral of U.S. history. Be ready in January. Hopefully you and I can talk no, about it. A question, question. You, you had a previous book, to uh, an addendum to your first book. Uh, that one was released, right? Well, I, my first book was called Harvey Wasserman's History of the United States. It was published in 1972. Uh, I was in, introduced by Howard Zinn. That's why I got right. <laughs> and I've been working on history ever since. And this book that's coming out in January is the um, um, sum of 50 years of uh, looking at U.S. history. It talks about... Spiral. Oh, so that's a book that we spoke about before that you're, you're planning yeah, on. Release. I, I thought a, it was released this year. Okay, great. I did an earlier um, uh, take on it, just sort of a draft. Uh, it was out last summer, and basically the conclusion was that Bernie saved the world, but <laughs> I had to kind of revise that. Actually, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it needs revising, because the truth of the matter is, first of all, he moved the party. What used to be, what used to be far left in the party is just kind of center left in the party these days. Well, Bernie is the new Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that Bernie... Exactly! Uh, everything Bernie advocates is, is endorsed by a majority of the American public. Exactly. Saving the environment, getting rid of homeless and poverty, homelessness and poverty, you know. Egberto, with a, a fraction, a fraction of the military budget, we could end poverty and homelessness overnight. I mean, it, it's, it's all there. We could feed everybody in the world. We have technology now. We know how to do agriculture without destroying the environment. We, 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 could, we could feed the world uh, and homelessness uh, and poverty, um, uh, build our education system with you know, 10% of the military budget. It's, it's obscene. And, um, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, one gripe I've got, I, I have to hand it to Joe Biden. He did uh, get us out of, of Afghanistan, entirely. not entirely. Right. But we don't have troops on the ground. Of course, the, the reality is that the domino theory turned out to be true because the minute that Biden stopped fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan, they came over here and took over Texas. So, uh, you know, (laughs) that's what really happened here, you know. But the fact is, if Barack Obama had had got us out of Afghanistan when he should have, which is immediately after being elected and getting the Nobel Prize. See, I think they gave Obama the Nobel Prize as a bribe to end the war in Afghanistan. I said that at the time that he got it. I did a CNN I report where I said exactly that it was an it was an expectation. Exactly, and it didn't come through. And if if, if Obama had gotten us out of Afghanistan instead of sending more troops there uh, in two thousand nine and ten, Donald Trump would never have been elected president. Never, uh, because uh, you know people were angry and rightfully so that we were still in Afghanistan. And then so Biden finally had to do it and. Of course, they railed at him for it, but he did the right thing. Uh, everybody says he could have done better. Okay, he could have done better, but could have done worse too. The fact is that we don't have the troops there anymore. We are bombing him, still killing people with drones. But uh, uh, you know, that's a, hopefully we on the left we have to make a major turning point out of that and have no more wars. I mean, we've since World War II, we've got Korea, Vietnam, Central America, Iraq, Afghanistan. 
What good is oh, it? Oh wait, you, you're you're missing quite a few, brother. Yeah, you're I know. Quite, you're, you're, hey, what's wrong with you? Are you for uh, Grenada? Is a country too, you know? Grenada, that's right. Yeah, that's a country too. And, by the up. way, the, the military, the attempted military coup in Venezuela is a real thing too, you know. And and, and uh, look what they did in Honduras. Exactly. So, you know, in Yemen and the whole deal. So the bottom line is, we have got to. Uh, 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 you know, they are yelling and screaming about money for uh, uh, social programs and infrastructure. The the military budget just sails right through. Let me stop you there, because here's a funny thing. And, and I don't know. Look, Harvey, you better talk to some of your Democrats out there in California and elsewhere, because here's what they forget to say. We are going crazy about a three point five trillion dollar social program that has jumped to a one point seven five trillion dollar program that really has a whole bunch of environment in it and not a whole lot of social program in there. When, if we were to say, uh, you know, the military budget is a $7 trillion budget as of our $7.5 trillion budget, that's how they describe us. We are talking about 1.7 over 10 years versus 7 trillion over 10 years. What gives? Why don't we advertise that way? That doesn't even talk about the, the, the uh, CIA and the, and the black box. The black. Exactly. Uh, so uh, um, it's really outrageous, and um, uh, it's killing us. I mean, it's classic end of empire stuff, Egberto. You know, I'm a history teacher, and you look what happened to Greece and to Rome and to yes. Babylon and uh, the, the British. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, only 12, 12 or so different countries have invaded Afghanistan and all got their butts kicked. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, the graveyard of empires. So we are now in the post-imperial or end, end of empire stuff. Let me ask you, your new book, does your new book, does it does it make the correlation between these great fallen empires and the United States as an empire? Oh, of course, absolutely. Okay. Well, you know, we've been an empire ever since we started. Right. We've been a, a republic, a, a sort of a democratic republic, but we've also been an empire. Right. And in the long run, to paraphrase Lincoln, you know, uh, no country can exist, half democracy, half empire. That doesn't work. Right. So, uh, and we're paying the price now. And uh, it, like I say, if, if uh, Obama had ended the empire, uh, we would be in uh, a very, very different case, different situation. I have to say, you know, all the horrible stuff that's going on in this country really is directly traceable to the war in Vietnam. You okay, know? one thought here. I know it's, it, you know, I, I want to, because we're, we're running on time right now, but I want to get your opinion on, on something right now. The progressives finally said, Okay, with some assurances, we let you have the bill. Did they do the right thing? Yeah, I think so. But you know, and then, but you notice the six votes against the Democratic. Omar is 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 Ilmar Omar AOC and a few others. Yeah. Yes, uh, but uh, five women and one one guy. By the way, but and, women. Wait, women. Look, women. I'm sorry. The it, the core of our party right now, or of the Democratic Party, I should say, right now, are women. These well, yeah, the young women. One, the number one theme in my history uh, of coming, the people's spiral years history, is that, yes, we're transitioning away from empire. We have no choice. Um, you know, the, the, the 21st century will not be the American century. But uh, the most critical transition going on in the world today is the transfer of power from men to women. And I that's think that's a good thing. Number one, because, uh, you know, and our democracy, whatever democracy we have in the United States, is rooted not so much in Greece, in Rome. I mean, there, there are aspects of the Roman Republic and the Greek democracy, but the democracy 
in America comes straight from the indigenous. The, the number one influence on, on establishing the United States as a democracy was the Iroquois Confederacy. Oh, I didn't know that. The most, the most advanced democracy in the world was the Haudenosaunee, the people of the Longhouse, who are in what's now upstate New York. They had an extremely advanced democracy, which completely changed the worldview of the Europeans who came here. And it's totally ignored in all our history books. But the rea- even, the, even the liberal history books, they say, well, the Indians were here and they were nice people and we shouldn't have wiped them out. The Indians were here and they were brilliant and they had a tremendously advanced civilization and they were based in democracy. And whatever democracy the United States had came directly from the Haudenosaunee in upstate New York through Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Paine. If you want to look at the major influences on American democracy in the 1770s and 80s, it was Benjamin Franklin and, and Thomas Paine, and they were totally in tune with the indigenous. Hey, you need to send me a manuscript of that book now to enlighten me so that I can ask you the right questions when it come out in January, buddy. I will indeed. And, yeah. Uh, Alberto, you're the greatest. And I understand you uh, subjected yourself to being on the board of KPFT, uh, the, probably the greatest act of masochism in, in world history. And, uh, you know, we, we need to retake the Pacifica Network, and that's for another show, too. Well, you know what? With guys like you on, on, on the team, brother, uh, and uh, whether directly or indirectly, that's exactly what we're going to do. Yes, and uh, we need that network, and we need your show. You're you're doing great stuff, Egberto. It's really great to be on with you. And we got to stop this left bashing. Finally, I mean the good the good news is in the United States, and this is this is the game changer, is that the American public is with us. That you know all this right wing stuff. You know this screaming of uh, this this fa- horrible fascist. Uh, uh, I can't even think of his name. The jerk on TV all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, they're always yelling and screaming about the left. And uh, they use this critical race theory to divide people. Racism is, div- has, is the core cancer, along with em- empire, that's been destroying the United States since the 1600s. And, uh, you know, it was invented. Racism was invented to divide people and to divide the working class. And that's what they're still doing. They're still relying on it. But less and less, the millennials and the Zoomers, the two upcoming generations, which are now about a third of the country, uh, are very, very left and progressive compared to all other generations, even the baby boomers in, in our history, because they're racially diverse. They couldn't care less about, about people being gay. I mean, it's just part of the... And, and the indigenous were like that too, by the way. There were tribes uh, in some cases that discriminated against gays, but by and large, homosexuality was just accepted by uh, by the indigenous as and and they were matriarchies. Now, there's a great line. There's a um, uh, documentary about the the Haudenosaunee, the Iroquois, who were extremely advanced, as I said. And they were run by the, the, the women ran the tribes, but but they let the men be the chiefs. And so in the um, in this documentary, a, a, a matriarch from the indigenous Haudenosaunee was asked, "Why is it that if the women run the tribe, why are the men the chiefs?" And she said, well, it gives them something to do, and it makes them feel important. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we're at now. If you'll notice, of all the countries in the world dealing with the COVID, the countries run by women 
uniformly did better than the countries run by. Oh, wow. You, you, it's almost like you're mimicking some of the stuff that we've spoken about, how powerful the countries run by women from Angela Merkel, who became the de facto leader of the world under Trump. To yeah. others, um, that is so true. But Harvey, we got to cut it here. Look, it's always great talking to a, a guy of your stature, your honor, your knowledge. I mean, uh, I can't wait to get your manuscript because there's a hell of a lot I need to learn from stuff that you that I, I'm pretty sure is in that book. Harvey Wasserman, activist, extraordinaire, Pacifica Network, long timer. Join, join us on our Zoom calls at uh, 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 Grassroots Emergency. Election Protection Coalition. Uh, Gerda, we'd love to have you on anytime you want to come on. Thank you so kindly. Harvey Wasserman, you have a great rest of your day. You too, bro. Thank you. Take care. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. 90.1 FM, Houston. They can listen as well at kpft.org. They can contribute to us at kpft.org. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Folks, we are at the end of the program. I hope you enjoyed what we had to offer. We will continue to give you fresh data, fresh programming every single week from Politics Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. 